listening to Historically Present. Well, everybody, my name is Peter. And my name is Serge. And you're listening to Historically Present, the podcast where we acknowledge the past, look at the present, and talk about it because that also means the future is coming down the pipeline. And we have a very exciting episode for you that we've been <laughs> we've been talking about quite a bit. Yeah. And uh, we just want to come out and acknowledge the fact that we are recording this October 4th of 2022. And uh, this is a moment, I would say, where we are a little bit in, in a, I want to say, I want to say a, uh, we're a little overwhelmed. And here's the reason why. <laughs> yeah. Because it seems like every 12 hours there's something major going on in the world. And that is not a joke. Um, and we are, since we've been talking about Ukraine and Russia, we're going to continue down that path. We just want to acknowledge that there's other stuff going on, which we so desperately wish to talk about as well. Yeah. But honestly, we'll have more details probably for that stuff in the future. And uh, this episode is probably going to be a longer one. Just going to come out with it right off the bat, right? Okay. Yeah. But this is an important one. And why is that? Yeah, this is this is really important. This is kind of the, the part two of the, uh, you know, our first, our second episode was a brief history of Ukraine. Right. Kind of brief history where we sort of dived into the, the historical context of, um, you know, what is Ukraine as a nation? Who are Ukrainians and where did, uh, where did all this stuff happen that that's uh, that's been occurring lately, and some of the background on, on a few things, and we talked about, um, and we ended really where we're talking about kind of the the build up to what we're going to talk about today, which is the Russian invasion of Ukraine, right? <laughs> and so we talked about you know some of the historical things. We really zoomed in on the the last I would say ten or so years of yes Ukrainian history um, in the past, and so. If you want to catch that, you're more than welcome to to download that. It's definitely worth your time to to listen to get some more context around it. Yes, um, I will say though too, like the, this is kind of the episode that we sort of been putting off because it's just it's just so overwhelming <laughs> to talk about everything. Yes, yes, it is. And I mean, we could probably do this for five hours. Yes, but we will spare you the five hours. We, we will spare you the five hours. Yeah, uh, yeah. And at the same time, you know, I I think. For me personally, as a as a Ukrainian uh, who was born there, grew up in the states, uh, you know this is this is definitely a sensitive uh, podcast for me to do. Right, you know, talking about um, the things that we're going to talk about and what's what's happening. So, um, yeah, we'll get right into it. Um, let's kind of pick up where we where we left off last, and we'll dive in. So, last time we talked about uh, the the start of the buildup. This is the second buildup of the Russian troops uh, for "quote unquote" training exercises. Yes, let's give let's just get quick up to what month are we talking about? This so point? we're talking, or maybe day at this point in time. So we're talking about. I think this started in November of yes. last year of twenty twenty one. Twenty twenty one. So sometime in November twenty twenty one, and then they sort of uh, expanded it by thirty days every single time, or, or about about so, and. Um, What's happening in the background is that Ukraine and Ukrainian officials are getting uh, specific information from allies, from, you know, NATO countries like the U.S., like, hey, they're going to invade you guys. It's coming. There's an invasion coming, right? And and, um, Ukraine and Ukrainian leaders are at this point really just like, okay, thank you. Thank you for the information. Um, 
and <laughs> it was it was received and sort of put on a shelf, I would say. Yes. Um, just because I think that they've seen this before, right? They've seen the 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 soldiers of the Russian army surrounding Ukraine in into Belarus as well. And so this was sort of nothing new to the Ukrainians. Right. However, I will say though, at this time, many in the armed forces of Ukraine, and we heard uh, from from uh, sources, uh, you know, online and, and things like that, that they were already considering that invasion was coming. It was not a matter of if, but a matter of when. And so preparations had already started happening for this. So one interesting little tidbit that I that I picked up on is that Ukraine, um, and I'm not sure exactly what day and, and month this happened, but right. the commanders of the armed forces of Ukraine started essentially doing a, a little bit of a decoy um, program to start moving weapons and uh, machinery around Ukraine. They started positioning themselves in different positions, right? And so obviously the Russians have great satellites. They can see what's happening. Uh, but they started doing a little bit more covert positioning of of some of their equipment to essentially prepare for this invasion, right? Yes. And, and so this is this is what's been happening. And and uh, all the meanwhile, President Zelensky is out there and he's saying things like, you know, we we appreciate it. Uh, things we don't think it's going to escalate. There is still a threat, but we don't think it's going to escalate. And and at some point, you know, my thought is like, well, he's he's trying to keep the call. See, that's funny you say that because I never once really entertained that idea. It wasn't until four months after the war that we were talking about that 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 dawned on me that he was trying to prevent a panic. Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah. So I I personally think he knew the the war was coming. The that this was not just military exercises, Interesting. Um, but this is really coming. But, you know, you think of the the decision he has to make, and the decision is, well, we announce, hey, everyone in Ukraine, there's going to be an attack on the, and, and to, you know, I, if you remember the, the, a lot of the news sources in, in the States were saying, like, it's going to be in the 18th. It's going to be in the 16th of February, right? They were right, yes. throwing out specific dates, and those dates came and passed, and nothing happened. And um, Ukrainians at that at the same time were also not really, you know, moved by these these uh, dates and these uh, things that were set. Uh, but imagine Zelensky saying, "Yep, it's going to be on the 23rd or the 24th," and mass panic just ensues all over Ukraine. So. Uh, think about logistics, right? Uh, all the roads get clogged up with people trying to leave. Yeah. Um, Which means you can't supply properly. Correct. You can't move troops. You can't supply. Hmm. Gas becomes a commodity uh, or really an issue uh, right. where you can't fill up your trucks. You can't fill up your you know, machinery and all the, all the battle equipment that you have. Um, Airlines get jammed, you know, with people trying to, to trying to fly. This still boggles me to the this, to this day that right now there is no flights coming in and out of Ukraine. Still, it is just boggling me that in the twenty first century we we have in twenty twenty two we have a country yeah. that has no flights coming in and out of that country. That's just well, the runways got hit a little bit eventually. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, and it's just obviously. First, Can I yeah. I, I want to make one quick note that is I feel like one of those things that 
just to put ourselves back in the mind of some people, <laughs> and uh, this is this is that part of me where I want to say, even myself has at times a leaning to wanting to feel this way, but the world was not thinking this. Let me clarify. Let me clarify that the world didn't want to believe this could happen. Correct. Yeah, and to a certain extent, I would also give credit to the fact that I think even Zelensky probably added it back somewhere like. You know, maybe it doesn't happen until it happens. Maybe there's still some chance that, like, you yeah. know, you pull you pull the plug and, you know, they go back or they downsize off the border and stuff of that nature. Um, yeah. It, it's maybe just a heavy, you know, border fire or something like that, and that's about it. But, but I will say this, and this is one of those things I remember being noted on February. Uh, actually, I've got a couple different dates here. But January 29th, around that time frame, indications Russia has moved blood supplies to Ukraine border. Mm, yeah. And that is one of those things that is a telltale sign that, okay, at minimum, they are prepared for casualties. Right. So if they, if Ukraine's not doing the invasion, right. it's probably the other direction. Right. So, uh, because think about this. Why would you move in blood supplies that, um, right. you know, if you're doing an exercise, right, why would you move in that much blood supplies, put that at risk, you know, with contamination right. and kind of moving things back and forth? doesn't make sense. And so, yeah. But I, but to be honest, we haven't had to think about that. Right. There's a lot of stuff. We, we never <laughs> thought we never thought about that stuff. Right. Right? Yeah. We're like, nobody, we're not going to have a war in Europe. Right. How crazy of a yeah, how crazy of a Maybe you make it more right? specific. We're not gonna have a conventional war in Europe mm. where tanks are rolling in and all sorts of stuff on maybe in some level. Which because Putin's kicked his things, and obviously I think we didn't understand Crimea as much at the time, and maybe mm. I was just too young at the time, and maybe that I'll, I'll admit that. But just didn't didn't expect that to happen. So, anyways, yeah. I feel like that's one of those dates that's important. And then <laughs> I see a note here. February 22nd. Yeah. Putin stockpiles blood on the front mm. line. And that became pretty clear then. Um, and maybe I think some people even argued yeah. that was one of the logistical reasons why he had to wait maybe too a little bit. So but. Yeah, and, and during the during this time you see the the pictures of um, the world leaders flying out to Moscow. You get the ridiculously long table. <laughs> right. Oh, Macron man. is sitting on one end and Putin is sitting on the other end. I forgot and it's like, about that. Yeah. It's like, uh, it's a you, really awkward you, long table. Are you afraid of something there, Vladimir? Right. <laughs> and um, so they had this, this table set up and trying to, you know, talk some sense into, into Putin. And he just sort of, um, Decides to ignore all the, yep. all the ideas and all the you know diplomatic solutions, and um, on the twenty first of February, he formally recognizes the independence of the Donetsk People's Republic and Luhansk People's Republic. So these, uh, for for those of you tuning in for the first time, these are breakaway, you know, uh, republics or or I would even call them states of Ukraine that broke away and decided to form their own republic. So think think of like. Texas and California saying we're going to be our own country, our own right. republic, and and so Putin, um, you know, in, in that case, like let's just say Mexico decides to recognize Texas and California as their own republic, and so adding legitimacy to that, and so um, that again was another tell, telltale sign of 
this is going to happen. The invasion is is right around the corner. It's not just a training exercise anymore. And so he orders the troop to uh, uh, the troops, uh, the military to basically deploy there as a you know quote unquote peacekeeping mission. Right. And so they do that. And then, um, you know, the tension is boiling. I, I, I remember myself uh, around this time, you and I were really starting to share a lot of uh, articles. And, you know, I'll be honest with you, I didn't really, I didn't get a lot of rest at that time because uh, every few hours you'd see an update and, and I'd be on Twitter refreshing, trying to see what's going on because that seems like the fastest, <laughs> fastest source of information out there. Yeah. Um, and so I, you know, I thought, okay, maybe, maybe it'll stop. Maybe it'll pull back again and, and allow Ukraine to, to have some peace and, and hopefully in the meantime, build up, you know, the army a little bit stronger so that that would deter Russia. But, um, and, that, and this is when Biden gets on, on the waves and says, we're going to do our sanctions. Yeah. The start of the sanctions. Yeah. Let me be clear about that. Yeah. Yeah. And so, we're gonna play this clip. Uh, yes, and we'll hear from the from the man himself. And um, so February twenty fourth, and this is Jeez. around two or two or three in the morning uh, in Moscow time. We hear this pre recorded statement, of course, uh, from Vladimir Putin. He says, "I've decided to conduct a special military." operation infamous words right while he was saying that the russian military starts pouring into ukraine from all sides yeah so not not just in the uh dnr and lnr the luhansk and donetsk republics um from from the north from belarus uh they start pouring in from the uh, east as well and from the south, from, from so from Crimea, while he's making this announcement, and so uh, I remember that day. It's it's this is th- I'll tell you this. This is going to be Ukrainians nine eleven, yeah, and Pearl Harbor and everything else. Every other date that lives in infamy, right? Because if you're Ukrainian, you know exactly where you were, exactly what you were doing when you found out that this was happening. And so I remember I was I was actually just about ready to head it uh, you know head in for the night go to bed, and then I start seeing the news and I'm just I'm just glued to my phone I'm just like what is happening, and then we start seeing the the videos and the pictures of the destruction that actually starts happening and that's just uh, again to your point like who would have thought that this type of war would be happening in a modern European country in 2022. Right. And we're talking, I think the one thing that was was uh, a moment, I think all of us are hopefully at a second little gut check, is to realize that peace is what we all want. But that was a moment where it's like, okay, never, never think that there won't be somebody who's not willing to try something. Right. Especially when you have, to your point, an army pouring into Ukraine. That's when the column starts to head down to Lviv. Yeah. Um, as well as... To Kiev. To Kiev, sorry. Um, yeah, so Lviv is getting shelled. Yeah. Well, 
every 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 city. city's getting yeah. shelled. Like so, what I mean is like it didn't matter if you're on the east or yeah. the west side, you're getting bombarded. Correct. And at minimum, we have to remind ourselves we've all been living pretty comfortably in the west for a long time. For a very long time. Very long time. Yeah. So your buildings start to get shelled. Your infrastructure starts to get shelled. These are things that nobody has the. It's not to say that you, nobody has the ability to repair, but nobody has the remember. There's no remembrance of a war previously where you had to overcome these things in some right. capacity. Like repair them. It's at, like where's the nearest bomb shelter? Right. Name anyone who can name that right now. Well, yeah, exactly. Like you, you, you wouldn't have to repair power lines due to war, right? You would have repaired them due to to weather, to weather or other things, accidents. But this is like. Oh no! This is due to a you know fifty ton bomb dropping, dropping or whatever, whatever right. the tonnage is dropping on the city, leveling and the shockwave hitting the poles and destroying everything. Right? That's that's kind of the level of uh, change that had to happen for for a lot of these service people that were out there and and doing the repairs. So, um, yeah, Putin uh, in his address, you know, he used the 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 term he wanted to denazify Ukraine. Right. Which is very, very rich coming from him. <laughs> um, Ukraine has the, so Ukraine's president, President Vladimir Zelensky is mm-hmm. a Jew. Yep. Um, his grandfather served in the Soviet army, if I'm not mistaken. Um, he also lost some people in the Holocaust as well from uh, relatives from, from his family. So, yeah. Um, you know, I talk about lack of any evidence or lack of any truth to that statement at all. Um, right. You know, and, and this is this is pure propaganda. Right. Um, there's no there's no Nazi. Uh, you know what he was saying is that the government is basically the Nazis, and they're they're bringing this um, these ideologies to Ukrainians, and we're trying to rescue them. Um, and so he starts the the full scale invasion. It starts with air missiles, uh, with uh, cruise missiles. Yes. Uh, again, things things we you know we've saw in Iraq War, Afghanistan, right? And maybe maybe not even that much. We saw certain clips from from news and things like that. But this is so much things have happened with this. Um, so we have our first, I would say, real time war. Right. All right. I mean. Obviously, Afghanistan and Iraq were fought with, you know, we had Twitter, Facebook, and and some of those technologies available. Um, and but this is this is a whole another level. This is where it's not shaky camera footage. It's everyone has cell phones, and they're recording the bombs. They're recording the missile attacks. They're recording. Um, I mean, a few a few things that stick out to me are the. The airplane, the jet that's flying and shoots a missile from the jet into a high-rise building. Yes. You probably remember seeing yes. that. Dude, the the Russian paratroopers were TikToking. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. In a war. In a war. Well, there's that. And then there's also uh, the... This this is on a whole new level. Kadyrovci, Kadyrovci are the um, the soldiers from Chechnya that follow um, their their leader Kadyrov, which is um, you know is basically is that Kadyrov? Yeah, Kadyrov. Is that how I know? Yeah, okay, Kadyrov. Okay. Yeah, yeah. 
I'm gonna try to use the the Ukrainian, Ukrainian pronunciation. <laughs> I use the I use the butchered. Uh, yeah, okay. I, I try to be very yeah know, very authentic today. <laughs> so um, they, you know, they, these guys are are brutal. They are mercenaries. They are absolutely barbaric with how they you know conduct war, and that's been proven on many many different yes um, ways that that they've seen it. And when they were fighting in different nations. And uh, these guys were out there on TikTok, uh, oh obviously not on the front line because they, they didn't want to get you right. know, wiped out, but they were out there uh, uh, on TikTok and doing videos and shooting at fake, you know, Ukrainians just for the views, which is just just a such a human nature thing. It's just so, so bizarre, isn't it? <laughs> it's bizarre. So bizarre. So, um, you know, we saw other images of a i remember this this image of a tank that i think then i think this was an accident um but it sure didn't look like it it was a tank that um there was an old man driving a car and then this tank essentially oh, yeah. runs, runs over, over this old man on the car and miraculously that guy survived i know the guy survived i that was that was a cra- it was it was crazy to watch yeah. It was crazy to see that the guy actually lived. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, but anyways, yeah. So yeah, the the, the full But once again, who who's when's the last time you saw tanks running over cars? Correct. Or or again, jets bombing I mean, I know you know I, modern cities. I mean, I know we have footage of like the M1 Abrams every now and then doing something in the Middle East. Yeah. But to run over a vehicle, I mean, I don't I'm sure it's probably happened, but I there's I don't yeah. remember any footage of anything like that. So I yeah. think it's I think many Ukrainians just were broken broken that day. Um, yeah, in many different ways, right? Just because of the the trauma of seeing like your country being um, overrun, and so um, Zelensky gets on uh, gets online quick, yep. and he he does the one thing uh, that everyone thought he wouldn't do, and he says. You know, they offered him a ride, and he has the the epic, I don't need a ride, I need more ammo. Right. Quote. Yeah. And so he decides to stay, which I think in in the hearts and minds of Ukrainians, that just won them over to him 100%. That emboldened Ukrainians in general as a, as a, as a population, as a people. They're like, if our president is staying here yeah. and fighting, we will stay here too. Now they could have moved him to to Lviv, which is on the western side of Ukraine, relatively safe. It's it's close to the Polish border. Um, some missiles, as you mentioned, were were flying there, were hitting, but not not to the level that were were bombarding Kiev. Uh, but no, he decided to stay in Kiev. Um, there was a National Guard contingent in Kiev that was defending essentially the the presidential palace and and. Uh, and everything around kind of the the entire government structure. Um, they even heard in interviews later on, I'm not sure, I forget exactly who spoke this, but I think it was the the vice president or the prime, or prime minister, I believe, actually. And he said that they actually heard gunshots from the presidential office. Right. So the, the Russian soldiers uh, decided to, um, advance really quickly on Kiev, and Kiev is is not very far from Russia's northern border. But and so they so they were able to quickly get a lot of uh, a lot of guys there. They tried to land at a at an airport called Hostomel, uh, Hostomel Airport, um, 
and they destroyed they destroyed the the largest airliner in the world, the airplane right. in the world, Maria. Which uh, again, that's that's another uh, you know ding on on the the anger that Ukrainians faced, and, and right. when they saw that that plane being destroyed, um, but Ukrainians fought back. They defended the presidential office. They started um, actually um, fighting back and routing some of the some of the Russian soldiers in some of these contested areas, like the airport. Uh, because think about this: they establish a um, an airfield, and what happens is they can ferry soldiers in all day, all night. Right? If you can't defend the airport, your your country's toast. Right. And that's kind of what the fear was, but um, so Zelensky says we're gonna we're gonna do a uh, we're gonna do, he pledges to stay in the capital, and uh, he essentially just says we're going to stay here, we're going to fight, we impose martial law, and we're gonna we're gonna get the military uh, mobilized, and so that's exactly what they did. And again, um. Uh, just watching those videos and watching what was happening was just i i couldn't work for 2 days normally i mean i was doing work at work but my mind was somewhere else i was yeah. i was live streaming uh sky news sky news from from uh from england had a basically a live stream set up in kiev um where you could see what was happening and um, yeah i watched you, that yeah yeah yeah. You could hear the sirens yes, at all times. At all times. You um thankfully we didn't see anything too crazy bombing wise on that because that would have just been another level of trauma. Um and yeah, and so that so this is happening in Kiev um on the on the southern front. So this is from Crimea into into Kherson, which is the, the the region that we'll talk about here today, quite a bit. Um, the Russian army advances from that as well. Now, this one was a different situation. They they hardly fought for it, um, just because there was. It turned out there was a traitor in the Ukrainian army. So there was a. So what had happened is they had set up. Uh, oh, interesting. Yeah, they'd mined. Essentially, the Ukrainian army, you know, obviously in preparation for this, they had mined all the bridges uh, that yeah. were leading from Crimea into into Ukraine proper. And uh, this this general, he he told his troops to demine this right before the invasion, and so the Russians were able to quickly quickly move in without you know hardly a fight, I would say, and start occupying. Kherson and some of the other regions in the south. Oh, so that's how they were able to take yeah, that. Yep, exactly. They took it wow, so quickly. That, I, I've never heard that before. Yep, yep. And so they they were able to, um, you know, establish a pretty successful and and dig into that establish a successful beachhead there. Yeah, dig into it. Um, a lot of the population there is is primar- you know predominantly Russian speaking, so they're able to. Um, I would say get a little bit more sympathy, but but at this point, um, you know, and we're talking about a day, two, three days after the the, the invasion started. Um, I think Russian sympathy has really almost disappeared in Ukraine. This wasn't a yeah. This wasn't a liberators are coming to set us free. This is a 
these guys are invading our homeland. These guys are killing our our kids and destroying our livelihood completely. I the there was a there was a scene. Well, there's a couple of things I th- think that during this time or in the early days it was very interesting to see. So, um, Odessa. Yeah. Now, Odessa was one of those towns where it always seemed like there was still some sort of Russian potentially sympathy uh, amongst there. Like, and I'm talking. Let's go back 10, mm-hmm. 10 years ago. Let's say that. Can we say that? I think we can say that, yeah. Yeah. Um, and yet, uh, when R- Russia started to invade, it was clear that the sentiment had changed. Yeah. Not just not just because it had happened then, but it had already started to happen overall. But that's when, I don't know if anybody remembers, but there was the videos then of the, I mean, we're talking... Bottles and bottles and bottles of Molotov cocktails being made. Yeah. Um, as a matter of fact, it's kind of interesting. It's like, I don't feel like we've seen a ton of those being used, but... No, right. But, uh, but I mean, it looked like a level of, man, you just... When all the citizenry was making them, they were churning out, it looked like, thousands a yes. day. Yeah. Ready to go. And, I mean... Nobody likes fire. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. In close combat. So, but, but that was one thing. I should also, I want to also point out one thing here during this time that in the early days that was very interesting to me. And I just want to make a quick note. I'm not necessarily anti UN, mm-hmm. but do you remember this? This is, this is, I mean, there were so many things in the early days of the UN there. I'm like, what are we even doing here? Yeah. Why are they even getting together? This is the most weird scenario I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. The Ukrainian diplomat is like, he's like, you just invaded my country. Yeah. You lied. And the Russian Federation guys walking down with a mask on still and everything. Right. It just, it just looked so bizarre. Get this, February 24th, right? Mm-hmm. February 26th. Russia, my word, you want to talk about a system, you're like, man, I don't know if it may have outlived its time now. Russia vetoed a UN Security Council resolution on Friday that would have demanded that Moscow immediately stop its attack on Ukraine and withdraw all troops. (laughs) Well, yeah. (laughs) It's like, it's like you can't, you can't make that up. Like that's. Russia vetoed the bill or like the resolution that would have told Moscow to say, well, of course it's going to do that. <laughs> like, what did you expect? You give, right? you give a nation veto power. They're going to, you know, it, it's just funny to think like all these countries and this country is like, nope, can't have resolution on this because we're going to veto. That's. Yeah. That anyways, whole security council is a scam. I that think. was just a. It was one of those moments where I'm like, I don't know, is this even, is this even service? Does this even serve a purpose anymore? Type scenario. But anyways, yeah, yeah. Continue. So, so you know, around this time, what what are Ukrainians starting to do? So they're starting to, you know, mobilize and and do as much help as they can do, um, you know, with their own with their own power, and so. Um, I think you talked about Molotov cocktails. A lot of them started posting recipes online. Um, breweries switched 
from brewing beer and alcohol yeah, to, to making Molotov cocktails. They handed out AK-47s <laughs> right. and Kalashnikovs to every person, every... Actually, this I don't wild. even think it was a man. Any any person who was willing to grab one, you got one. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it, this is this is wild. Um this is <laughs> this is the first the first sort of um, you know, mass, I guess mobilization that you could see is um where and I'm reading this article, this is Ukrainian men help themselves to guns. <laughs> <in> <laughs> And uh, this is this is actually on the 25th of February. So this is very very quick well, after yeah. the invasion. Yeah, yeah. Um, are essentially they bring in a bunch of uh, AK-47s, and uh, everyone is urged to take up arms and fight the Russian invasion. So um, Ukrainians, you know, at, at this time, a certain number of people are starting to leave. Traffic is you know, insane in Kiev yes. uh, as they start fleeing and, for the and, borders. And the border countries are now getting just an influx of That's people. right. That's right. Poland's getting swamped. Poland is is amazing for what they've yeah. done and how they've actually stepped up. I don't know if you give a Nobel Peace Prize to Poland, Gosh, but right? I feel like they deserve it. The, the people of Poland, yeah. Um, so they were essentially bringing in thousands and thousands of these uh, firearms and uh, even, even Molotov cocktails, and they just... They just pull up in a pickup truck or a you know a dump truck. Right. <laughs> They're like just just take one um, with with a bunch of bullets and so uh, it said about some eighteen thousand machine guns were handed out <laughs> at the time of the writing. So there there might have been more and and that's just again yeah. a testament to like okay we're we're in, we're going to fight for this. We're not we're not going to back down. You're truly invading. There's no legitimate reason for you to be here. We're going to fight for this. Um, another iconic thing that I, I think a lot of our listeners, you, you might remember hearing this, is about the sunflowers, the sunflower yeah. seeds. So this is a, um, this is on the 24th again uh, in Kherson region. So again, we, we talked about the soldiers move in super quickly. They're already in Kherson region uh, where we're in the south. And a woman comes up to a soldier and... Uh, She's like, what are you doing here? And he's like, well, we're here. You know, we have exercises here. Like, go away. <laughs> Leave us alone. And and uh, she's like, are you Russian? And he says, well, yes. And she says, what are you doing here? And he says, well, uh, our discussions are not going to lead to nothing. And so she she says, uh, she gives him a, a handful of sunflower seeds. And she says, take these seeds and put them in your pockets so that at least sunflowers, which is the Ukrainian national flower, will grow when you all die here. Yes. And this is a an elderly grandma that just had the courage and audacity to come up and, and, and say this to a soldier. Um, and, and so you hear stories of this happening all over, not, not specifically the sunflower seeds, but just the courage that people are, are willing to stand up and fight. I know a lot of people in uh, the Hison area were actually going out and protesting. They were mobbing Russian vehicles and tanks and all that stuff just because... Yeah, they're just stepping in front of the tanks. They're tank. stepping in front of the tanks. They're like, you know what? You're here. You're invading our lands and, and, and whatnot. So, yeah. Which I want to make a quick point on. This is when I will say we got to start to see the fact that there was a problem in the Russian military. That's pretty right. Pretty quickly. That's right. The the thought that they were going to be welcomed as liberators 
that went out the door. Yeah. Extremely fast. The second factor was like all the people, all the soldiers who eventually got started were starting to get captured. Yes. They they had they didn't even know they were going there. Correct. They were told in in some of the lucky ones were told a day in advance uh that they were going to be in Ukraine as as peacekeepers essentially. Right. Right, because you know, you're at these uh you're in the fields out there in Russia and Belarus, you you know, you don't really have access to a lot of even Western media that has, you know, correct information for the most part about what's happening. Um, you're hearing this from your commanders, and it's a very top-down structure of command there. So um, the command comes from the top, and, and you you hear it, and you move that way, right? And so a lot of these these kids, I mean, they're 18-year-old kids. Uh, many of them were. They're getting captured, uh, and they're getting interrogated, and they're just, where are we? What is this? What is this place? You're in Ukraine. What are you doing here? And they said we didn't know, we didn't know we were going to Ukraine. We don't know we were being sent here. And so, you know, part of me too is like, man, that the 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 humanity of that too is just really disgusting, isn't it? Yeah. Just like we're going to send you out to this war that that you have no say in to to choose fighting this and you're going to go out essentially ill prepared you know, you're not going to have the support you need to actually conduct what we are telling you to do. And there are many stories of Ukrainians treating the Russian soldiers, the captives, much better than the Russian military actually treated its own soldiers. You know, they're talking about food, right? We see, we see, kind of to your point, the the crumbling and the and the the exposure of the Russian military. So up up to this point, everyone assumes you know it's it's the U.S. at the top, then it's Russia or Russia China, you know, but probably Russia because they had a better uh, naval fleet at this point, and um, or one of the reasons at least. And you see stories of guys going in there with food rations from 2015. <laughs> Oh, MREs from 2015. I think I even saw it worse than that. It's it's very possible, yeah. Like it looked like it was Soviet area, Soviet era, Soviet Soviet, Soviet era, era yeah. rations. It's it's at the tail end of the Cold War or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. It's I mean they they were given just just whatever they had. I think right? it expired in 2015. It did. Yes, that's what it was. That's right. Yeah, they were they were made that long ago that they couldn't. That the food had expired that long. <laughs> That's right. That's yeah. Yeah. Also, their helmets. Some of the helmets. Oh yeah. Were World War Two esque. Some of them were legitimately from World War Two. And and just to, just to remind everybody, we'll, we'll get to some of the, you know, maybe some of the more recent stuff here. But this is like the initial force going in. Correct. Correct. To to be that under equipped is. That's not good for any army at all, period. Right. And and again, this is winter time in, in, in Ukraine. So they yeah, have yeah, we're Feb we're February here. Yep. February the early March. The ground starts, you know, to thaw. thawing. Yes. Right. Ukraine is famous for its muds, apparently. What, what's the name of the mud again? Help me. Help me. What's the name of it? I don't I can't I don't know. Come on. <laughs> You'll have to look that up. I need to look it up. I'm gonna butcher um, it. 
the uh, the mud is is starting to play a factor because you know these vehicles are are trying to drive and and so one of the critiques we heard here did you find the name of the mud? Yeah. Ra- okay, Rasputista. Rasputista. Ra- Rasputista. Okay. Yeah. Um, so one of the factors that that uh, some of the early I would say critics would say that um, Zelensky built these roads because we talked about that in the previous episode um, is that he had this huge construction project and he actually built a ton and ton of roads that were modernized that were you know basically allowing the the vehicles to move uh, quicker and so uh, now what was happening is they are the Russian soldiers are starting to um, go down these roads specifically and using these new roads to to advance into Kiev. And so Ukrainians had a solution for this. They started renaming <laughs> renaming uh, street signs and doing all kinds of things to essentially hide you the hide the the Russian um, idea or kind of the location of where, where they're even heading. Right. And Again, another another breakdown of the army is their maps. So <laughs> all their phones were taken That's away. Funny. Their maps. Their phones were taken away, right? And so um, they had maps from you know some of the best cases I I think were from you know the late 2010s. Yeah, late 2010s. Some of the worst cases were from Soviet era times. They were looking at paper maps from the Soviet Union yes. that had cities that no longer existed or roads that weren't there or, you, you know what I mean? It's like, right. how are you supposed to You have come it? to a fork and you look at the map and you're like, <laughs> well, that's not right. Well, that's, something's wrong here. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so Ukraine starts, you know, they, they essentially kick everyone out of the capital um, and they start... Um, this kind of this this attrition sort of starts, and we we start moving on to um, into March. So Russian troops in, in the south uh, seize most of Kherson, uh, which is the strategic region. It's it's very much agriculturally based, so they're famous for their watermelons, but they are also uh, exporting essentially all the well, if not not all, but quite a good amount of uh, grain and different foodstuffs all over the world from Odessa, from Nikolaev, from Kherson and those uh, the areas there because it's right on the Black Sea. And so they are strategically now, you know, occupied by these Russian forces. Um, they meet fierce resistance in Mos in Kiev and uh, but they do end up taking uh, Ukraine's second largest city, which is Kharkiv in the northeast. And that Kharkiv is um, also close to the Russian border, yeah. So that was not a huge surprise, but that was that was also taken. Quick, quick question to Kharkiv, because yeah. that's that's going to become kind of important as time goes along. It, what is what is up there? And let me clarify that. Like, what is that region? Is that still a farming? Is there some sort of? Because I think of like the just so I think I think it would be a good thing to note here for everyone. The Hersan the region, things of this nature, Mikhailov. These mm-hmm. are factories. These are these are manufacturing areas. Quite a bit of them mixed in with agriculture as well. Correct, right? But yes, but like yeah. they have a they have a manufacturing sector there and stuff like capacity. Do you have any idea what Kharkiv had there? Um, 
so it's it's an industrial economy as it well. It is industrial economy yeah. as well. So they, okay. they're um, they're kind of known for um, engineering, uh, metallurgy, manufacturing. They yeah. do production okay. of chemicals, uh, food processing. So it's 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 also another important, you know, sector that has a, a lot of these specific things that are vital to Ukraine's economy. And so again, by this time, Ukraine's economy is is completely shot. Right? They can't export. They can't make food. No. And so. By the way, just so everybody remembers, the number one exporter of grain invaded the number four, or actually number three, I think That's it right. is. Of wheat. Of wheat. And between sanctions and literal war, like that stuff starts to disappear rapidly, um, which we're kind of, maybe I'm jumping in yeah, a little bit here, yeah. but yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so we we see sort of Ukraine fight, you know, the, the the Ukrainian resistance fighting fiercely in the capital and and slowly pushing people out um, the Russian soldiers. Now, while this is all happening, the world essentially unites completely against Russia, and we start seeing the most unprecedented sanctions uh, pull out of. Econ, you know, pull out of uh, of the country, sort of things happening in 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 history. Yeah, because so, it, it wasn't even it wasn't even just country sanctioning; it was companies. It was companies, individuals was, pressuring companies, or whatever. However, it was technology san- sanctioning. So, yeah, that's you know, right. A little aside here is like, yes, we we all you know live on this earth, and we have different. Culture, language, all that stuff, right? But I would say that what really makes the world run, uh, which is a lot of technology, a lot of systems, is Visa. <laughs> yeah, Visa, Visa is, is definitely, what the world makes the world. That's run. right. That's right. Visa, but you're not you're not too far off on that, right? It's, I'm not it's, right. Yeah, it's how do banks communicate with each other while they're using you know interbank systems like SWIFT, right? Uh, there was a lot of pressure to turn off SWIFT, which would allow banks to send money to each other. And they're not sending 50 bucks. They're sending millions and millions <laughs> right. and millions of dollars, right, yeah. you know, on 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 repeat, essentially, every single day. So there was, most of Russian's banks were taken off of SWIFT. Um, most, uh, except for the main ones, which is Gazprom Bank, which is an, another, you know, bank that's very closely held by okay by and, Putin's inner and, circle. And maybe you know the answers already. I'm just curious if we can cut a little little mm-hmm. further. Is that still or we don't know maybe. You know, I cuz cuz there was like a first round that really just okay. that shut down 33% or something like that, right? It looks like they were excluded uh Gazprom Bank and uh, Sberbank, which are the the one and number number 1 number and number, number two, 2, yeah. um are excluded from the list of swift um but wow. but essentially what's happening in russia is is just unprecedented so companies announced they're pulling out uh, mcdonald's leaves starbucks leaves. starbucks ikea leaves h&m um it's still there yes it's it's got a little a little gray zone right a little a little, a little shop hanging out in petersburg right a little gray area that was just reopened but um there was there were con there were companies that took a hard line and said we're we're done with this market. Um, I would I would argue that for some of them, th- this might not have been the greatest market to be in. 
you know, in, in their respective industry. And so this was like, oh, phew, finally we get to get out of here with and sort of safe face. Yeah. For others, this was a massive market. Yeah. And based on pressure from the international community, from the from the states, but also from a lot of Ukrainian politicians. The and there, again, this is so hard to do because there's so much stuff happening that's like we can't we we can't spend so much time getting into everything. But, no, we can't. But the the rise of political pressure from direct direct political pressure from Ukrainian politicians was just unreal. You saw guys like the president's uh, spokesperson spokesman and yeah. and. Uh, you know, chief, I think he was one of the advisors, chief advisors, just go on Twitter and just call out companies like, hey, company Y, you support murder of Ukrainians. That's great. And he would do that. And then these companies would essentially re- react to this, to this specific thing, to this call out. And so um, that was a huge thing. Um, now, let's talk a little bit about the, the soldiers that were going into, into Ukraine from the Russian side. So we mentioned a little bit of, uh, that these were mostly young men. Um, right. Uh, you know, they were in their 18s, you know, I would say 18 to 30 or so, 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 so around, around that age. Um, the one thing that we started also seeing when Ukraine started capturing these soldiers is their ethnicity. So these were guys from Buryatia, where uh, it's a region in Ukraine and in, in Russia that is a ethnic. It's 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 not, you know, Caucasian people, right? So, right. So you start seeing the this pattern where these people from Serbia, like Siberia, up, yeah, these, uh, Siberia. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So soldiers from Siberia that are ethnic that are not ethnically Russian. They're ethnically, right. you know, into their own specific. Uh, group, um, they were being drafted, called onto this war. They were being essentially, uh, you know, volu- volunteering for this war. And you see, these guys are 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 dying, but you don't really see a lot of people from Moscow, from Saint Petersburg, you know, the intellectual capitals of of Russia, uh, right there. And so, um, that's another thing to the interesting point to call out. Um, and then. We see, and I think you and I started panicking a little bit when we saw this uh, this forty mile convoy. Do you remember that? Yes. <laughs> um, now, this was this was a convoy of vehicles that were stretching sixty four kilometers, um, which is forty miles, and we started seeing images of this uh, around April April second, actually, and so. We start seeing a huge, huge line of all kinds of vehicles, tanks. Um, you've got, you know, transport vehicles, and they are just forming onto this huge, huge line. Um, they were protected by anti-aircraft missiles. Um, depending on how effective you think they were, yeah, it really. wasn't very effective. It wasn't very effective. <laughs> Ukrainians had a, a secret weapon called the yeah. Bayraktar, yeah. the TB2 drone. Bayraktar. Bayraktar. Turkish drone. Yes. Man. The Turkish drone just... And so so what happened was um, the convoy stalled, and get this, eight days into the war. 
uh, 30 kilometers or 19 miles from the city city center of Kiev. So they they were routed in the first wave. Um, they were, you know, repelled back. And so they're like, we're going to send this massive convoy into Kiev. And this is already in April. They were routed, um, or excuse me, into March. Um, and they were routed uh, or stalled rather in eight, uh, eight days into the war. Um, there was many reasons why. Yes. Part of them was fuel and food shortages, right? This is not how a modern modern army moves. If the United States wanted to attack uh, or defend some kind of you know area, let's let's say they want to attack something, they would not move in this way, right? This is a stupid way to move. Get all your uh, most valuable assets, your vehicles, your right, you, you know your tanks, and line them up on forty mile route road. That that's stupid. So they're running into fuel. Uh, fuel and food shortages. Um, there, obviously, weather and terrain was a huge issue, right? Because just traffic jams, right? Just people, vehicle gets stuck in mud, and that ripples down the line, right? right. You, it takes a while to get someone out, and the Russians did not want to drive on the um, on the on the on the ditches or within, like on the on the fields, just because of the mud, right? So they're trying to drive and and get there quickly. That didn't happen. Uh, Ukrainian attacks were just another thing that was just you, they're sitting ducks there. These these TB two drones were flying above. You can't hear them. You can't see them. But then you see your convoy, your trucks in front of you just blow up. Right. Uh, another huge thing is is poor maintenance, and this is where I think um, this is where I started learning about sort of like military Twitter. <laughs> right. There was a few guys, Trent Talenko, um, Ryan Macbeth, a few other dudes that were just on Twitter, and they're like, "Let's talk about the tires that the Russians were using in their vehicles." And they, they you know, they obviously they served in uh, Trent. I think are not Trent, but Ryan served in in the army, and he's and he's like, "Look at the tires. The tires from the pictures are cracked. They're horrible. It looks like they actually haven't been rotated in years." maybe decades. So apparently one of the things that you have to do with with tires, especially in the military, is you have to move the vehicle to rotate it so that the sun, when it's beaming on the tire, um, it doesn't hit the same spot, spot. and soften it up. And right. so these vehicles were going there. They were getting blown tires, which stalled the convoy, right? And he's like, this is kind of incredible that we're talking about these. And these tires were cheap Chinese tires as well. So it's the little things that started to have a massive, massive impact. By the way, you you highlighted something there I think is also important to note. Yeah. You said they've been sitting around for years, decades. To be honest, I started to realize how old the actual equipment was in the first place. Yeah. Uh, not... And I and I'm I'm not as familiar with the tank stuff, mm-hmm. but like those the the personnel carriers, yeah, APCs, the APCs that they were driving around. Yeah, I mean, someday if anybody wants to, you should take a look at what the inside of those looked like. And maybe it's because I'm so used to what American, yeah. you know, like the Humvees and all this sort, or quite frankly, our personal in armored personal carriers. I don't know if you consider it a hum, Humvee yeah. one. It is an, it's not even, I think, how I said this, 
I think my 1994 <laughs> Buick LeSabre had more gadgetry than the inside of those suckers. Yeah, you're probably not right. And and so or not wrong. Yeah. Anyways, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I meant. Yeah. Not wrong. Um, so that's an interesting point. Okay, I'm not saying that it has to be, but it was just wildly. I mean, the gauges. Not that they should be digital, but even the analog gauges were just. Yeah. Looks so old. Oh, (laughs) yes. I mean, and part of this, too, I I will say, Peter, like part of this is like just military. You're not going for the, you know, the sexy design. No, I completely agree with that. (laughs) But, but, yeah, it should have been modernized. And we'll talk about that. But there are, there are huge, huge problems with outdated, decrepit equipment that they're trying to bring into this country, into Ukraine, that is just stalling out. And they're like, we, yeah. we, we can't do anything, right? Right. So you talked about the, you know, the, the issues with the column. Zihan, Peter Zihan, is, it, by the way, he's a big influencer on this podcast. But just quickly note, he said something that I was like, wow. I mean, he's like that column, that 40-mile column, everybody was freaking out. You and I were freaking out about it. Yeah. I mean, it was just like, it seems like a perfect opportunity to have like a you know, some some airstrikes on those things, whatever. And there were with the drones. Yeah. However, after eight days, they ran out of fuel or something. And then, like, after 10 days, they ran out of food. Yeah. Here's the problem. You run out of fuel and you're <laughs> hungry. Right. You have to walk back to where, like, that's the problem. They started, they had the, the, the ability to get back to Belarus was not a good scenario, right. right? Like you were, we're talking. It's, I mean, you, if you found a bike or something like that, maybe you could like pedal. But like there were, so, that's that is a logistical nightmare. Yeah. Uh, so, anyways. Yeah. So um, this is where we start seeing, um, you, you know, Ukrainians are starting to pick off this this convoy. Yeah. With things, they're stalled. They're they're sitting ducks. You can't. And and their 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 method of warfare is not like. The modern, you know, the conventional NATO standard, American standard warfare, where um, I think it's, uh, and I might butcher this totally, but I believe what they what they do now is like they have a tank, and then they'll have guys that are uh, soldiers that are surrounding the tank <laughs> and essentially like protecting it from, you know, other the enemy on the sides that are trying to attack this tank, and so they're kind of walking with the tank. There's sort of like this this um, this relationship between the soldier and the actual tank itself. That wasn't happening. And to speak on that as well, the Russians' tanks, we find out really quickly, had a major, major design design flaw. Um, some of them, it, someone referred to this as the jack-in-the-box effect. Um, so essentially, what's happening is that the way that the the tanks are stored and r- rather the ammunition is stored in the tank. Um, they carry essentially multiple shells under the turret. The turret is the thing that turns that, that, you know, that has the, yeah, it's, it's, it's the thing that points the gun, the points the gun. Right. Yeah. And so they store that and the top of the tank is the most vulnerable part of the tank. So Ukrainians were supplied with the javelin, which is now legendary in Ukraine. Right. With N laws. Ukraine had developed their own version of uh, of like a rocket launcher, and it was 
it was an incredible to see these videos where they would go up and they would shoot and run away. It's point and shoot and that's it. Um, and and these tanks would would blow up. Uh, the the drones that were flying above them as well would would just take out every one of these tanks. And you'd see just you, you'd see the same video where this this turret would just explode because if you hit it in the right way, right, all the ammunition is just completely detonated. And it's it's just incredible and and, and sad too, you know that that they're they didn't prioritize the Russian army that is didn't prioritize safety. And so you have these, you know, these poor guys are in there. They're many of them are confused and they're like, uh, we're, we're, we're told to shoot down, shoot this building. And then out of nowhere, they get eliminated by a javelin by an law. And it's just, it's just wild. And, and, and we saw this happening over and over and over and over again. Um, one of the terms that I that I learned uh, doing just kind of research and observing is, is something called the the T three ratio. This is called the tooth to tail ratio. Have you heard of this, Peter? No. Okay. So this is a it's it's military jargon, um, and then this basically talks about the amount of military personnel to it takes to supply and support each combat soldier. So the supply is the is the is the tail. And the combat soldier is the tooth, <laughs> right? Right. So the tooth is out there fighting. That's that's your average soldier, right? And how long? How many support staff, staff does it take? Does it take? Yep. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, um, you know, we had some references to to this, uh, uh, like in World War II, for example, our T three ratio or was for every one soldier on the battlefield, there was four and a half, four point three soldiers in the tail end and in the service in the the support to kind of support and back them up right okay we got up all the way into um into vietnam for every one soldier we had 12.9 soldiers in support of every one soldier on the battlefield boy i wonder what okay and then jocko willing said it was like one to ten right now but I don't know if that's yeah. So right now, um, in Iraq in twenty in two thousand five, it's one to eight. Okay. So we we might be closer to one to ten now, but it's one to eight. Um, so that you know that sort of tells you a little bit about. And so what was Russia's then? Um. So, or or it was that bad. <laughs> we just don't know. We don't know exactly, but it's likely that it's about one to five. Yeah. So, so for every one soldier, they have five soldiers that are supporting. Um, and and you you don't think about this, right? You don't think about this sort of thing when you're doing, uh, you know, when you're thinking about uh, an invading army. You're thinking like, well, we got to give everyone guns. Like, no, 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 you can't. You can't. The people that are trained for that get the guns, get the you know all the equipment they need. We need to make sure they are supplied. We need to. Exactly. We need to make sure we have gas. We need to make sure we have um, spare parts. Right. Right. We think that some of these things just <laughs> exist and, and without any sort of um, any sort of need to, to be replaced. But a barrel can shoot a certain amount of times. That's just physics. That's just math right there. And and right now we're seeing that after after the entire you know six plus months that we've been in this war. 
some of the Russian equipment is jamming. The tanks can't shoot because they are not able to replace the gun. Or the turret can't turn anymore. It can go forward and backwards, but we can't replace anything else, right? Because right. it's got the... Um, it's essentially something's locked up and they can't replace it anymore. Well, the the artillery... Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I, don't, I, don't, I can't remember. It's not the S-300, but uh, the, the Russian artillery trucks... Yeah. With... I don't know how many barrels are on there. Let's say 24 or something like that. Because um, they got all the rockets, right? They're one. Yeah, you know, yeah. Right? Yeah. The- uh, I was told that those were rated to shoot maybe 600 times. Right. Right. Um, out of each of those barrels. So yeah. then you have to replace the barrels. And that gets to be a problem. So. That's right. Yeah. So, um, so again, all, all, a lot of this stuff is happening in the... <laughs> Not to, not to mention you get to the truck to the right spot, but the tires are not working properly. You don't have the bright bearings. And your map and is from the 70s, right? map from the 70s, and you don't have any fuel. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly yeah, right. Yeah. So, Problems. Um, you know, Ukraine does a lot of smart things. Uh, they set up hotlines. They set up a hotline where you can send a telegraph message to uh, some official, and yeah. you can surrender. Um, they set up, you You can bring your, your uh, you know, your Russian tank and your APC carrier and, and whatever you want uh, with your surrender, and we'll actually pay you for it. Oh wow! So they they do some some things like I that. I did not know that. Yeah. Really? Oh, absolutely. I think if you brought a uh, s like a like a fighter jet, if you if you defected and brought a fighter jet, I think they would give you a million dollars, if I'm not mistaken, Dang. in USD. And so another thing... That's, that's a great way to live your life, man. Right. Another thing to point out here is that Ukraine, again, for those of you that know, don't know, Ukraine was part of the Soviet Union. So their their doctrine and their, their equipment, they were very, very familiar with the Russian equipment. Right. Like, ex- like they were using the same things against the Russian side, right? Right. right. Because they obviously were trained on it. They know how to use it. it it's only in 2014 or so where they really start making a clean break from Russian military doctrine. And we, we see this like today, we see the difference between how Ukrainians are fighting, how Russians are fighting, but we see um, they're able to, if they, they catch a tank, if they get a tank uh, that's either left behind or, or damaged that, that can be repaired, they just repair it and they just get in that tank Maybe maybe change a few things, rearm it, you know, add some more strength to it, and then they just go out and fight and using that same tank. So that's another another level of this. Um, Ukrainians start, <laughs> and they're the biggest. I, they're some of the biggest trolls, I would say, in the world. Right. <laughs> the memes start coming in. The uh, and 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 again at the same time, some of it's funny, some of it's sad, some of it's like misinformation yes right there's the thing called the fog of war and we're still sort of in the fog of war oh, right we're now. still certainly on the fog of now, war yeah. we can look back at what happened in the earlier days of the war and we can you know be a little bit more more concrete with the information yeah. there but uh do you remember uh the ghost of kiev do you remember that <laughs> i do and that was a real person well no it no? wasn't it wasn't i thought I thought they had a funeral for him and stuff like that. Nope. Um, 
the the Ukrainian government after after a while came out and said there is no ghost of Kiev. Oh, really? There is. Uh, they they essentially said we are all ghosts, right? We're all out there. And so yeah. again, this is the first time that in Europe we had air to air combat. Yeah, air to air combat in Europe since well, World War Two. Not to mention just the the planes themselves, the MiGs that the Ukrainians had taking out next generation planes that the Russians had. That's right. Was wild. Uh, I remember watching, you know, people just just being baffled that this was even happening. I mean, uh, so for example, we have most people we grew up with like the F sixteen, oh, yeah. yeah, and there's the F twenty two, and now there's the F thirty five, right? Right. It's like an F sixteen. Well, I don't know if it's taking on F thirty five, but definitely taking on an F twenty two is the best way I can describe it. Oh yeah, minimum, yeah. and it was it was wild because they would yeah. just they were doing dogfights in the in the sky. And the Russians never, and still to this day, do not have air air superiority. Which is again another another thing that just baffles a lot of the military uh, analysts. Are like, that's the first thing you do is you establish air superiority. Yeah. And what that means is you you essentially control the skies. Right. Yeah. You can't. Right? So if you control the skies, no one can fly in. Your your troops can't move. Um, you know, you can bomb it. Willy nilly, <laughs> you can right. bomb wherever and whenever you want because you control the sky. The Your Russia, troops can call in air support. Exactly, exactly. And Ru- and and Russia still to this day has not established air superiority. Um, I think this is a good time to kind of talk about the equipment uh, of, of Russia and Ukraine, and this is why I believe a lot of people and and sadly I would say on the on the conservative side in in the U.S. Were yes. like this is Ukraine's going to get destroyed completely. Right. Um, so you've got Russia, which is um, ranked by the world uh, world military strength ranking. They're ranked number two. We talked about that. Ukraine is ranked number 21. Russia has 845,000 soldiers. Ukraine has 129,000 soldiers. With a million reserves, Russia has two million reserves. This is people that have served in the armed forces before. Yeah. Um, Russia has over 2,700 tanks. And in storage, get this, 18,000 tanks in storage. Yeah, but are they... Are they <laughs> that's, the, that's exactly the point. It's like, are they, they might T, be in are storage. They T-34s they coming are, back from World War II? They literally are, Peter. No, they're not. They are. They have found... They have found in recent days uh, tanks from the 60s. If anybody from Russia is listening, I think myself and some other people would love to purchase a T thirty four just for historical purposes. But right, but are you kidding me? No, I'm not joking you. So Ukraine had eleven hundred tanks with about fourteen hundred in storage. Uh, Russia had over uh, fifteen hundred combat aircraft. Um, and there's another number here. Yeah. Actually. So what did Ukraine start with? 231 combat aircraft. So this is like all kinds of combat, right? This is like offensive attack aircraft. They actually had one number, so they had 34 jets. <laughs> 34 jets. That's that's not a that's not a typo. That's that's true. What? Yeah. 
Russia had nearly 400 helicopters. Ukraine yes. had 139. Okay. Uh, Russia had 82 combat vessels. So again, all kinds of uh, you know ships and and yep. Ukraine had 10. <laughs> 10. And then the big one here, I would say that that allowed Russia to gain a lot of these gains is Russia had over 8,900. Uh, pieces of artillery. So this is like your howitzers, your your S three hundreds, while Ukraine had about nineteen hundred. And so um, the the parity of of equipment was just not there. And, the, and and if you look at the numbers, it's like, well, well, yeah, of course Russia is going to crush Ukraine. They have seventy submarines. Ukraine has you know how much? Zero. Right. Ukraine doesn't have a submarine. A submarine, period. <laughs> they don't have a submarine. Um, and so oh. it's like, well, th- all the numbers are stacked against Ukraine. And um, and so a lot of people were just doubting and saying, this is a matter of time before Russia takes it. And let's, let's do a peace, peace deal. But that didn't happen. So um, let's kind of move on a little bit because I know yeah. we sort of uh, I- explaining a little bit about what's happening, you know, in the early days of the war. But um in April, things started really turning e- into a a direction that nobody thought would turn into, um, and we started learning about uh, two Ukrainian cities that are that are now very very famous um, or infamous, um, and that's the city of Bucha and Irpin. So, on April second and third, um, the corpses of dozen uh, civilians were discovered on the streets and buried in shallow graves in the Kiev suburb of Bucha. Um, and so this is when Russians stalled out and some of the soldiers were there essentially just living in people's homes. Right. Um, we heard of torture happening. Yeah. Uh, there's there's evidence for all of this stuff too, by the way. Uh, there's, there's rapes that happened. Um, yeah. I just want to take a moment to talk about that for a little second, yeah. Um, because I feel like that's really important to highlight. So <clears throat> that was when they started to liberate, going north of Kiev. Uh, like I, I don't think it can be understated the amount of rape that happened. Yeah. Uh, and there's a part of me that wonders if we'll ever know the complete amount maybe on the eastern side of Ukraine, just for a whole bunch of reasons. Um, People left a long time ago. I I don't know, whatever. I I don't know. But but it was bad. And and I am going to tell one story just to quickly highlight, like, what this was like. So the accounts are... It did not matter the age. Yeah. It didn't. We're talking... We're talking grandmas down to like, I think even younger than infants. twelve. Infants, yeah. infants, yeah. Jeez, I, I w- Louise, not, not even children, infants. Yeah. Um, to put things in perspective, uh, it wasn't even. You want to talk about the terrible scenarios? Uh, there's a great account I think that is in the Times. Great account. That's not great. There's an account in the New York Times, I believe of one of the ladies who talked about the experience. And we're talking, they, you know, this husband, think of yourself, I'm, I'm thinking myself right now and yeah. my family, 
uh, you're you're invaded. They come to your property. They tell you to, you know, disarm. You know, don't do anything. Type scenario. Then they get into a, a confrontation with you, and then they just shoot and kill you. And now your wife and children are left there. Um, her son did not know that her her dad had been killed. Yeah, and she, you know, proceeded to eke out a survival during that time of rape over the course of like three to four days yeah. with different people. And when she finally got a chance, because she gotten him drunk, basically. Right. Uh, she grabbed her son, and as they're running out, like they're running over, they're walk, they're running past the body of of her husband, and her and her son's like, "Oh, that poor man." Wow. You know, still doesn't even understand. It's, and that's just one story. Yeah. Right. Like that's, and that and that's uh, that's of the people who lived. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, the, the you know you start seeing after Bucha was liberated and they found the the mass graves. Um, there was nine girls that were pregnant, uh, as young as fourteen. Yeah, from this. Uh, so imagine the the trauma right that you live through right. Uh, it, it's it's a dark place to even to go, but but these these poor poor women poor girls had to survive through that. Right. And I, it's just, I mean, that there's just no words for that. Right. Just, there's just no words for, for that sort of thing happening in, and to your point, we don't even know what's happening in, in a lot of the Eastern, the part of Ukraine that's been occupied for much longer that some of these crimes will never come out because the evidence has been destroyed. Right. Completely, whether the people are, they've been buried for so long that you can't, you know, find this this kind of stuff, or right. they've been completely, you know, bodies burned, that sort of thing, right? It's it. Who that's a that's a tough one to to even think about because, um, that that is just that's just that's evil. I mean, that's evil. It is. It, yeah, <laughs> it's absolutely evil. It's absolutely evil. I yeah. I I tell you what. This may be a good point because I um or a good point to maybe pick pick up maybe a little different spot here. But yeah. I, I'll let you determine yeah. that because now that Ukraine has started to make advances again, mm-hmm. just to put things in perspective, this wasn't a this wasn't a one time deal. Correct. This is standard operating standard procedures. operating procedures. Uh, not for I'm not going to say for everyone, right? But for for some of the some of the more criminal, more evil, you know, uh, groups of the Russian military, and so this is maybe even specifically good. specifically the Wagner group. Wagner group. Wagner group yep. is a good example of this. Yeah, but I don't. I, I'm getting the impression more and more, especially from the Buka time frame, that this was. This was not just like the Wagner group. This was like the army itself. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. And 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 Ukraine, at you know, at this point, um, they so, so so the Russian soldiers are coming in. They're either stealing cell phones, um, or they're you know somehow get their own cell phones back. Right. They're making phone calls back 
back home. Right. And some of the phone calls are like, mom, dad, we're getting routed. We're getting like, my company's gone. Right. There's no commander. The generals are getting killed, right? And Ukraine is tracking all this. And what they're doing is they're also releasing a lot of these phone conversations on YouTube, on Twitter, so the world can see, so the world can hear what's actually being told in the narrative, right? And Ukraine is creating the largest list of war crimes that you've ever probably seen in in in, in your life. Right. Because they have they have Western intelligence helping Ukraine right now. Right. And so this is where another part is, um, you know, of this is, is the United States, especially uh, Great Britain and a lot of, a couple of other NATO nations really, really step up and they say, we're going to do something about this. They start sending in a ton of equipment. They start right. sending in you now the javelins, the, the, the Turkish company by rock is start sending in the, the drones and um, then America starts sending in high Mars and other, other equipment that's more lethal um, all at the same time, sort of playing a balancing act of, we don't want to do something that's going to provoke Vladimir Putin into something worse into a nuclear strike because he sees that we're supplying, you know, F-16s, for example, right? right? And then we're going to, he's going to do a nuclear strike on Ukraine. So they're trying to find a balancing line. And and now I feel like that balancing line is becoming more in favor of the of the allies that are helping. They're like, you know what? We're just going to do this. We're we're announcing packages. We're, we're, we're sending heavier artillery that actually is making a difference in the battlefield to end this war as quickly as possible. And so... Um, Bucha happens. Uh, we 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 start seeing what happens there on the east side of Ukraine. In and so this is in April. Uh, in May, yeah. Did you have something? To say? I'll, I'll just quickly say um, there was a there was somebody. I don't, I'll need to get the. Sorry, I'm trying to interrupt. I'm interrupting you a little bit. Oh no, you're but it, but it is it is confirmed. I just want to be very clear with people. This is not some things that anything Ukraine made up in any, any capacity. There have been people from America, like I'm talking representatives, things like that have gone over there and completely verified this. I mean, yeah. uh, so people who have been like, is this, you know, this, did this really happen? Because it is, it is hard to imagine for what it's worth. I don't blame people for being like, they killed 400 people and like mass berries, burials. This is stuff we haven't seen at least it seems like in a long time. Um, once again, unfortunately, the world is a dark place at times, and I'm sure yeah. it's more common than we want to admit. But, uh, <clears throat> but as one guy said, I can confirm to you, I saw the bodies of of the people with their hands tied behind yeah. behind their back with the bullet holes in their head. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. So while this is happening, we've got uh, Mariupol, which is a coastal city on the on the Azov Sea um, that is home to one of the largest, if not the largest, um, steel plants in in all of Europe. Actually, uh, in Ukraine for sure, if not a, if not all of Europe, um, and it's called Azovstal. Um, and 
Russia had, you know, since the beginning of the war, they besieged and started relentlessly bombing that place, right? Right. It's a port city. They want they want that port city. And what that would allow them to do is um, basically create a land bridge from the northern side of occupied Ukraine, so from Donetsk area, all the way down to Crimea, right? So the capturing Mariupol is very strategically important for them. And so um, this is where the the famous Azov battalion battalion the regime regiment yes um is is basically you know retreated they were defending mariupol as best as they could they retreated into this uh as of stall steelworks plant and 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 think of this as like a multi-story um fortress with with underground um you know, levels and, and just, it's, it's this complex, like you can't just, it's not just a building that has a foundation, right? right? You can just bomb it and that, that's it. Everyone dies and we capture the city. It's like, they had so much hiding places there. It's so, it's so vast. It's, it's humongous. And the, the Russians were just bombing this relentlessly. They were just bombing that whole plant relentlessly. Somehow Ukrainians, this is wild. They were able to fly in weapons, food, support on not, I, I don't want to say daily, but on a weekly basis for sure. They were able to fly in that kind of stuff because imagine you, again, you don't have the support. You're right. surrounded completely. Um, in the meantime, you, Mariupol is completely destroyed. Like, because they just shelled everything. Right and and by everything, I mean that. Right, we mean everything. Like, yeah, like Mariupol doesn't exist. If if I can say it that way, right? The city that 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 you know, if you've ever visited, just no longer exists because everything is a is, is a shell. Everything's a husk of what it used to be. Um, there was a tragic um, development that happened where. People were trying to hide from the, you know, the, the invaders, and they hid in a the Mariupol theater. Yeah, and they, right. they even wrote on the sidewalk. They wrote "deti," which means children. Children, right? They wrote children. You know, in Russian, too, in I'm Russian, guessing, right? right? In yeah. Russian, um, hard to miss that. Right, you can see that from the sky, and that that Mariupol theater gets completely destroyed. Is that, is that the one where they thought, like, maybe up to, is it, can I say a thousand? That's not right. Um, it was a lot, though. It was... It was uncomfortably tragic. About, they were estimating about 600 people. Yeah. Yeah, 600 people were were essentially blown up with a, um, with a bomb strike on their... Um, they had rescued about 130 survivors, but uh, this is this is happening, and I mean this is this is genocide. This is this is war crimes. Like again, all all this stuff is being documented as as it's happening, and there's so many investigations that um, that it this will not go unpunished. Right. Right. Um. And and even now, even in 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 the middle of summer, the 
the Ukrainian media was was reporting that uh, some of the Russian occupiers were trying to clean up the theater because they don't want evidence, right? They were trying to rebuild it quickly. Right. Because it's like, well, yeah, we need a theater in the middle of a war. But no, it's because they want to clean up the evidence of what actually truly happened there. And so um, another tragedy, another like, a you know, catastrophe that that actually happened uh, during all of this. And so um, at this point, uh, Ukraine is is still fighting fiercely um the russian uh the russians uh, and they've pulled back from kiev and so the the ukrainians sort of um you know get get uh the kiev region and, and the northern part of uh, ukraine stabilized under ukrainian hands again um they sh- the russians shift their forces to the donbas area which is where donetsk and the luhansk are and um Something surprising happens. Uh, Sweden and Finland apply to become members of NATO, um, fearing that they could be a future target of Russian aggression. Right. So the one thing that Vladimir Putin did not want to happen was more people, more countries joining NATO as as members. And that's exactly what is starting to happen. Right. Um, and I think this is, to me, like where the, the idea that this is not going to be a quick war, this is not going to be a um, a quick Ukrainian victory even, because that's, you know, right. me, that's what I'm hoping, right? I stop the war, stop this evil, stop this nonsense. I realize it's not going to be a quick, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of geopolitical things start happening. Um, and so, you, again, you see Sweden and, and Netherlands, or excuse me, Sweden and Finland, and then his neighbors to Russia, they're like, you know what? We stayed out of NATO for many years, but we feel like that we need to be joining NATO now. Right. And a little side note about about Finland during this time. They're getting a lot of Russian refugees coming across the border. Oh, yeah. This, this is before September or anything of this nature. They're fleeing because... And honestly, I think kudos to them. They saw the writing on the wall. Yeah. That this was, Russia was going to go through some heavy, they already, the sanctions were announced, but they were going to go through some heavy turbulence, um, which continued. Let's jump back to Russia a little bit. Um, So obviously when you announce a quote unquote special military operation, people want to call it a war, right? Let's just call it for what it is. What it is, right. It's a war. But that, you know, you could actually get fined and in trouble for calling it a war on t- on television. So they <laughs> they started twisting the language and calling it a special military operation. Now, Russians started protesting, um, and great for them, great for them right. that they went out there and started protesting. Um, however, Putin and the regime was prepared. Um, there was there was protesters but not to the degree and to the level that maybe we saw earlier protests where um, in 2012, there was like, I think over a million people in Moscow streets protesting, Jeez. you know, some of the laws that, that they were yeah. trying to sign. And um, essentially uh, for writing no to war, that's, that's literally the right. They would write Nyet Vanya, no to war. Yeah. Nyet Vanya. Nyet Vanya. Uh, 
police would just come up and just throw you in the paddy wagon, throw you in a bus, take you to prison. Right. The fines for some of those crimes, quote unquote, got to be five years, 10 years, 15 years. Um, also not, not monetary time. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Time. You couldn't, uh, it was a crime to discredit the Russian army. Um, one, one stark example that I remember seeing in the early days of this is that I think a, uh, a young woman was standing on the square and she just held up her hands like she was holding a piece of paper, but there was nothing there. Right. <laughs> yeah. She's, she's just holding her hands. Is, is this the elderly, an elderly lady too? There was an elderly lady that, that was um, doing some other stuff, yeah. but this one specifically, she was holding nothing in her hands. Right. And she got arrested. And that's like, how 1984 is that, right? Right. Well, sorry, I'm remembering the older lady because I want to say, <laughs> threw in the patio. They did, but they like escorted her gently to that's the right. That's <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but still... Yeah, I mean that's that's wild. I mean, just think about that. We have free protests. Uh, mm-hmm. We're we're actually a nation that does encourage protests. It's a right. It's a right to do. Yeah. Uh, imagine that scenario where it's not it's not only not a right. It's it's five years it's a crime. Oh, yeah, my yeah. Word. And you know, I think a lot of. I'll, I'll I'll be honest here, Peter. I I struggled with this this whole thing with the the war, the invasion. You know, right? Um, you know, on one side, I'm like, they're killing my people. They're killing people that you know grew up in the in the place where I grew up. Right. And on the other side, I'm like, this system in Russia is 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 brainwashed everyone. And there is there there is no freedom in Russia anymore. And so when you look at it and you're like, they can go out and protest, but what are they gonna do? Like not that's not gonna change anything, right? Right. Because the system is so corrupt, it goes so deep that you know, bless those protesters, but that's not gonna bring the change. And it started, you know, and and I, you know, I was praying for for Ukrainians, and I was also praying for Russians. I'm like, yeah, many of them didn't didn't want this. They don't want this. They're peaceful people. And then, for me, you know, the narrative changed a little bit, and I'm like, you start seeing these videos come out where where the soldiers are stealing are looting. They're looting people's homes and they're taking things like washing machines. Right. <laughs> washing machines back to Russia because the Ukrainians in the villages are living better than some people are living in the cities in Russia. And so there's like this this like weird dichotomy there. You're like how do you how do you reconcile that, right? How do you reconcile the fact that Ukrainians, when they had, you know, and maybe not equally, but a, a certainly a dictatorial government in in Victor, uh, um, I, I just dropped his name here, 
the president of, uh, of Ukraine, Yanukovych. 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 Yeah. What do they do? They come out and they die. They die for their belief, for their right. freedom. Over 100 people were killed. That brought the change that was necessary. And it's like, how do you, okay, how do you compare that to what's happening now where you see, you know, there was a mobilization that was announced and 200,000 Russian men left the country within two or three days. Where are the Russian men standing up and saying no? And so I think, you know, and I'm speaking for myself here, but but there, there definitely is like that internal structure. I'm like, you know, everyone, or struggle rather, everyone is, you know, we're all, we're all children of God here, right? Right, we're, yeah. We're all humans. There's, there's no one that, it, it's, it's evil when anyone dies for any reason. It's horrible. But then you see like what's happening, you're like, how do I, how do I reconcile that in my mind, right? And so I thought, there... <laughs> They're two different societies, and I think this this sort of led me down the path where I'm like, okay, I think I understand the fight of the Ukrainians more now and even what's happening in Russia too because they're essentially vastly different societies. And we've, we've talked about this, you know, offline, like the Russian society um, is very much power- Right, it's it's a it's a projection of power. Um, it's not. It's very centralized. There's no. There's no like, um, you know, we're 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 going to be this group of people, and we're going to be you know. Po- there's an opposition, of course, but they're not. They have no power, and so the people look at anyone that's a leader, and they essentially vest all the power that they want onto this leader, and they project all the power onto this leader, and so it doesn't really matter if it's. Tsar Ivan, Tsar Peter, if it's yeah. Stalin, if it's Lenin, if it's Putin, if it's Yeltsin, right? It doesn't really matter because those guys are controlling the Russian society. They they have the most power. Yeah, they have the most power. Um, you know, and I think about this, like, after World War II, Germany was brought to its knees, rightfully so. They did horrendous, horrendous atrocities. Right. But they were brought to their knees, and they repented. Um, Germany post-World War II was not a great place to be in. Not, not a place where you go to on vacation like we do now, right? They were reconstructing. They had to reform their entire society. They have remembrance uh and I, there's a name for this. Remember his pieces where there's like footprints in the yeah in the stones to symbolize as a reminder of what happened. They are and like with the Holocaust and all sorts of things. They're actively know. teaching on World War II, and and you know obviously they were the aggressor at that war, and right. like they're actively teaching the generations above uh, that are born now of what actually happened. Um, and even it's a crime to even have swastikas in Germany. <laughs> And so, yeah, I don't know if you can even say spell the name Hitler. I, I, yeah, the, it's essentially, one of those weird the, things they've gone completely to to reform not only the society but the individual. I believe that's really what they did. Right? They repented. 
It's a great word. They repented for their sins. When was the last time you saw a war crime tribunal in Russia? Right. Or for Russian war crimes? Right. Now, I'm not even talking about modern war tribe, wartime tribunal. I'm talking about like for the stuff they did in World War II, where they sent hundreds and thousands and millions of their own soldiers to the war field. And as these soldiers started retreating, they, they started shooting started their own shooting. soldiers. Yeah. Like that happens in the US. And it's, we don't get me wrong, United States is not perfect in, in the military sphere at all. We've done some atrocious things too. But there's tribunals. Like metaphorically, heads roll for that stuff, right? Like yeah. people get in prison, people, you know, for, for war crimes that, that have occurred. This has not happened with Russia. After the Soviet Union broke up, there was no inquiry into, let's look at what the Soviet Union did in this war in Afghanistan. Let's look at what the Soviet Union or, or what Russia did in, in uh, Georgia when they invaded Georgia. None of that happened. And so I think that what's happening is individuals in Russia set up the society. They allow the society to happen, right? Just like individuals in the United States set up the society. We said, we want a Bill of Rights. Right. <laughs> we want the right to protest. We Here's want the, the Constitution. Freedom of speech. We, yeah. We're going to die for that, actually. Um. And then the society, in return, influences the individuals. And so there is this kind of society where you have like, well, if not me, then who else? Someone needs to go and die for this war. If not me, then who else? And there's, you know, sort of this fatalistic kind of approach to life, I, I think, in some of, especially some of the um, far reaches of Siberia and some of the, some of the areas there, it's like, well, What's the purpose of living? It's, it's, and, 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 and a lot of the Russian military has a very low value for life. Very low value. We even see that now where some soldiers are getting killed or even finished off in the current war in Ukraine for retreating. Or if you got injured, you just they would just come and shoot you. We've, yeah, we've well, seen that. Desertion, right? if it's not, if you don't know, get shot potentially is uh is 15 years in prison. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Actually, I think even surrender is now. Is yeah. that right? You can't you yeah, desertion for sure. You cannot desert. If you if you run away from the from the draft, you could get a 10 to 15 years, I believe, uh from the mobilization rather. Um and so um yeah, the the society of Ukraine has been captured by that Russian overall Soviet society, I would say, call it that way. And they've been trying to break away from that society uh, for years now, right? And th this is the closest they've ever gotten to it with, with Zelensky and Poroshenko before him. They got really, really close. They're like, okay, we're just about out of the Russian sphere of influence. And Russia is, you know, to use kind of the analogy of the the toxic boyfriend, right? It's like, well... She broke up with me, but if I can't have her, no one can have her. And that's what they've been doing, essentially bombing the cities. Um, they're, they're hitting less and less military targets. They're, <laughs> the overall target.
targeting is actually it's hitting schools, it's hitting hospitals, uh, homes, malls. There was a huge attack uh, in uh, where we saw a missile just hit a mall in Kiev. Right, yeah. And then another one in Kramatorsk and other places. And it's like, this is not really a war to denazify or to, to bring, you know, to liberate people from Ukrainian ideology. It's this is totally a war, illegal war of aggression, and that's really what's happening here. Um, I can confirm this on September 24th, Putin signed amendments toughening the punishment for deserters. Yeah, and those who voluntarily go into Ukrainian captivity expect up to 10 years in prison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um and throughout the time, so Russia is again kind of getting implanted deeper and deeper into the southern Ukraine. So they they take over and they shell the largest nuclear plant in Europe, which is Zaporozhye, which yep. has again been in the news, um, raising lots of fears for a nuclear type of a strike um, or you know disaster, really, where you know you attack that that nuclear power plant and you know the winds shift and. Now all of Europe is contaminated. Yeah. <laughs> from uh, that, right? So just to highlight that, the reason why that is of significance, and uh, I've heard some U.S. Uh, more news people, but previous soldiers who are you know in the press corps and some, yeah. some of that nature talk about, that is an ace, or that is a card that Russia still has to play, potentially. Yeah. But when they were shelling... Every all these different places earlier on, people forget that the uh, the the power plant, the, the nuclear power plants, one of those was Chernobyl. Yes, right. And they overtook, they took Chernobyl and they gave it back when they left. But some of the shelling started to expose the radiation that had been buried previously as well. Oh, oh, right. It's not just shelling, Peter. They were literally camping in the red forest, in the forest of where where the radiation right. leak happened. They were driving tanks and vehicles and moving that, and and a lot of people, sadly, but again, realities of war. They got radiation poisoning from all the activity they were doing. Like, like this is this is so inept. Like, <laughs> I didn't even think about that. Yeah, they were they were literally camping out there and. I heard accounts too, you know, where they probably didn't have a Geiger counter on this. They didn't know what was happening, right? They didn't even know about Chernobyl. You know, again, 18 year old guys, right? Are you sure? Nobody nobody thought themselves, wow, this looks like an abandoned city, like a frozen time (laughs) from the 80s. Right. Interesting. So, um, and we just keep moving on. I mean, we've got uh, the US starts sending high Mars. High Mars. Start sending billions and billions and billions of dollars of packages. Um, high Mars are just immediately put to incredible use in Ukraine. Yeah, those those really have been a game changer. They have because they allow shells to travel. Um, I want to say 70, 80 kilometers, something around that, um, behind enemy lines. So, so what what's allowing? What's happening is Ukraine can now stay safely behind their protective corridor and 
shoot at targets that are deep within a Russian-occupied territories. And so they're hitting things like uh, bridges, right? They're hitting things like uh, command centers where there's hundreds of soldiers. Munitions. Munitions plants, depots. They're hitting train stations, right? Because the Russian economy and the Russians specifically, their, their military runs on trains. Because remember, they have a problem with gas. Gasoline. Ironically, yeah, they, for being such a massive oil producer, they, yeah. they they sure do, and so um, so they're they're forced to be tied really closely to the to the rail lines, to kind of the transport lines, and so um, the U.S. just sends a lot of money. Now, in the states, uh, a lot of Republicans and conservatives are starting to complain about yes. the, the the amount of money that we're sending. Yeah. Um, there's a Tucker Carlson uh, clip I'm just going to play here for, yeah. for us here. And calling for an unconditional surrender from Vladimir Putin. Here's the weird thing. By any actual reality-based measure, Vladimir Putin is not losing the war in Ukraine. He is winning the war in Ukraine. And Joe Biden looks at that and says, we won't stop until you proffer an unconditional surrender. This isn't bad policy. This is nuts. It makes no sense. In fact, it only makes sense if the goal is to completely destroy the West in order to make way for Chinese global dominance. What would be the other explanation for this behavior? Retired now, Joe Biden. Yeah, so that was... That got me pissed. <laughs> yeah, I, I bet was, it did. I yeah. was so mad when I saw that. I was like, what are you talking about, man? I have no idea what you're talking about. Putin is definitely not winning. The The war is not going in, in the direction of the favor of, um, you know, the invaders. And one of my friends, Vitaly, shout out to him. He uh, sort of, uh, he had a really interesting response because I was like, this is this is horrible. Why would he say something like that? That's not even true. And, uh, you know, his response was something in the lines of, well, they're more worried about the the threat of China, which is, I know, something we'll probably talk about in the in the future as well. Right, yeah. And so to to them, like seeing the the you know, seeing Vladimir Putin do this, they're seeing this as like, oh, this is not really a threat to us, but China's the actual bigger threat, and we gotta focus back on that. So and I was like, Yeah, that makes sense. Um, but in response to, to Tucker, like that's not what's happening right now at all. <laughs> no. The the Russian side is is definitely not not winning by any stretch, um, and so 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 you see some of these things happening. And you're like, okay, where are people's true allegiances, and um, you know why are they saying some of these things? And and some of it it has to do with disinformation that's actively coming still from the Russian mm-hmm. bots bot farms, right? Some of it's coming from talking heads. Um, and others are just like ignorance, right? It's just like you you just you're just totally ignorant about what's happening, the dynamics, why you know, why peace is not really gonna be peace. Can I can I say that yeah. the 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 uh the non interventionists um which I understand to a certain extent where they come from a little bit. But <laughs> I remember argue, I did argue on Twitter, which, by the way, I don't recommend. It's just pointless. <laughs> That's not helping. That doesn't, that doesn't point, help yeah. anybody. Um, 
But I remember one guy saying like, hey, this is this was the argument. Hey, we got problems on our own border in the South. Yeah. And we do. Yep. We do. Um, but I said, listen, and just re- just remember, Ukraine, even though it's not a part of NATO, it is a Na- NATO ally yeah. previous to the start of the war. They, I, they, I'm pretty sure they were classified as that within NATO. In 2008, they were, yeah, they were essentially accepted to join NATO, but but that didn't happen. Right. Um, there was, uh, they, albeit probably a small amount, once again, they came and helped out in, in Afghanistan or Iraq. They sent some troops down there at some point in time. Yeah. Uh, they, yeah. Let's just, there's a whole bunch of things going on there. The the reality is, let's just come down to it is, okay, non-intervention. The problem is, is like this war is happening. Like it's not, it it, it is happening. And what happens on the other side of the world does sometimes impact us. Yeah. And clearly right now you have the, once again, just to put in some macroeconomics, Russia supplies oil and natural gas to the majority of Europe. They, which uh, maybe you're going to play a clip here in a little bit, but, and I feel like that's going to deserve its own episode, Mm. but there's, we go back to the production of literally calories that feed the world through grain and things of this nature. Those things happen that now throws everything up in the air. In North America, we are very blessed. We are very fortunate and everything of this nature but I would dare say if we had people pouring across our border in tanks with, you know, strapped to the gear, launching missiles into San Antonio, I feel like we would probably be saying, we need to fix this. We need to help this scenario. That is happening in Ukraine. Not to mention there's the people who say, we've talked, we talked about this a little bit with Roman, yeah. Like the uh, corruption clause, oh right? You know, Ukraine has got corruption in it. Once again, name one country that doesn't have any corruption in it. Let's start with that. Correct. Number two, if you had to, if you had to, if you had to guess, okay, if you had to guess which country had more corruption, <laughs> Ukraine or Russia? I'm just, I'm yeah. just going to throw it out there. If you, if you really had to. If you had to sit down and ask yourself, like, that's not a hard one to figure out no. pretty fast. Uh, I go back to my society <laughs> thing, right? Because that's how it's set up. That's how the military is set up. Every every level of the military in the Russian system, there's a little bit of graft there. It's like, oh, right. there's $100 million to spend on something. <laughs> on something. I'll take $10 million for myself. Exactly. And the next exactly. guy's like, I'll take another ten. And and you get to the story where <laughs> I just read this recently. 1.5 million Russian uniforms for the winter are gone. Are missing. <laughs> right. Like, uh, I, I can't even imagine that. Like, like imagine the storage you need for, for 1.5 million, you know, uniforms, right? Yeah, somebody, somebody rounded the zero pretty far down for uh, right. that inventory. Yeah. And so this this culture of corruption has just has been actually a a massive gift to to the Ukrainian military because they're like, well, maybe we just wait this one out here. Uh, something's going to break. Yeah. By the way, if you look at the the mobilization, so just 
you know, we haven't really stated why the mobilization. The mobilization is happening yeah. because Ukraine, with the HIMARS, with the morale, with Western help, I will completely admit that, totally. and they will admit that too. Yep. Happily admit that. Um, with all the allies coming behind them, they are winning. They're making ground. As of recording of the podcast of today, they are taking more and more territory down by Hassan again. Yeah. And that is, it's going to be interesting. But, but, but to go but you back to the missing uniforms, mm-hmm. they're telling people to show up with camo, civilian <laughs> camo that they have from home. Yes. If you look at the packs that they're bringing out there, there's people, Russian, you know, mobilized units that are carrying like the, the sleeping bag that my kids got that's yeah. in the green wrapper. Right. 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 There's some that are bright pink. Okay. It's it's absurd. It's it's a joke. Uh the the military procurement is absolutely a catastrophe and joke, right? And this is one of the things where you know, shouting out to some of the guys on Twitter that have been exposing me to a lot of this information. Like I think George Patton, uh, General Patton, or not Patton uh Kershing. I got to find the, okay. the quote. <laughs> uh, General said that um, infantry wins battles, logistics wins wars. Right. Right. And you don't think about that. Again, as a civilian, you're like, again, you're like, I, uh, well, we got to get as most number of guys with guns out there as possible. But that's not true. The infantry will win the battle, um, but the actual logistics and the supply chain will win the war. Um you know, a quick example, um, the the Russian army, what the, so this is a, a quote from General John, John Pershing, so I was right. Yeah. Um, infantry wins battles, logistics wins wars. So what's happening in, in the Russian army is they're unloading munitions by hand. Let me say that again. What do you they're, mean? They're unloading warheads by hand so they take them to they load them on a truck yeah take them to a supply depot unload them by hand mm-hmm. load them on another truck take him to the battlefield unload them again by hand okay and every time they move they load them on a truck by hand unload them now how effective is that there's absolutely no logistics there. There is no, there's no way that you can move quickly without having any sort of mechanized thing. And that's where the military in the in the U.S., you know, they were they, I mean, they were thinking about containerization in the fifties. Like they're like, uh, it's really inefficient to store and to ship all these uh, warheads. It's dangerous. Right. We can't just take and and we saw videos of guys just taking like shells and just <laughs> throwing them one to each other. One guy's in the truck and the other guy's on the on the ground and throwing it from the truck to the guy on the ground. And God, <laughs> God forbid something happens and that thing falls down in the wrong way. Right, kaboot! You're you're done. 
but that was the logistics supply. And then this also talks about, you know, the, the fuel and, and kind of like the, 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 the tail end of the, the tooth. Right. And that's like, it's, it's abysmal. It's abysmal. And on top of that, you've got this culture of corruption, this culture of graft that is just, that has pillaged the army completely. Like on paper, they're number two in reality. They are not even close. Yeah. I think Poland could could out, you know, with the weapons Poland has, they could do more damage, right? Well, yeah. I will say this. If things keep progressing of uh, little little nods to the Baltic countries, I see Poland uh, getting together with its neighbors and being like, oh, we're going to take Lushenko out this time. Yeah, Lukashenko, yeah. Lukashenko. Yeah. Um, but anyways, yeah. So let's kind of jump a little bit here. I know we've been sort of jumping because this is just, again, this is like one of the hardest episodes It's one of the record. hardest episodes to like move forward appropriately because you got a, different timelines and everything's happening. Yeah. Okay, where do you want to so, pick? What do you want to So kinda? something sort of amazing happens in, in around September. Yes. So um, we we see like the war is essentially stalled. So from from... July or from, you know, even, you know, early, early summer, the war has essentially stalled and it's a war of attrition. So it's like, well, we're going to hit you guys there and then we're going to hit you there. And the Russians actually had a couple of counteroffensives. So there was one in Severodonetsk, which is a, what's called North Donetsk, basically, uh, where the Russians actually nearly encircled Ukrainians and they, they captured that part of the Donetsk. And, and their goal was like, we're going to completely encapsulate the Donetsk Oblast, the, the Donetsk state. Um, so that we could, uh, you know, maintain and control that. Um, the Ukrainians did a tactical retreat back. Um, yes. And, which was wise, right? It was wise. Um, and so what Ukraine did was they, uh, throughout August and September, they were hyping up a counteroffensive. Correct. And this is where I'm like, okay, some of this stuff is just weird, right? Like we're announcing $13 billion here, 20, uh, you know, $8 billion, $500 million here. And it's like, why are you announcing all these things? Why are we announcing all these packages? Like, the, the they know that Russia can read in English, right? right like, yeah. why are we doing this? Some of it is, I probably won't understand. You and I probably won't understand yeah. why. And maybe it's, you know, disclosure laws and things like that. But um, Ukrainians start essentially hyping up this counteroffensive that they're going to perform in the south of Ukraine, in Kherson. And so this is where, in conjunction with the HIMARS, and so HIMARS um, stands for, uh, let me just get the uh, specific definition, it stands for um, high mobility, oh, hold on one second. <laughs> um, it's it's basically a, a rocket launcher, and um, they are these huge, it's, it's like a, it's a mobile rocket launcher that is developed, uh, in the late nineties for the U S and it can send these rockets. Um, it can basically shoot off a bunch of these rockets and then move right away. So it takes a minute and a half to shoot your entire load and move. So by the time that you you're done shooting everything, you're already in a different spot. And so the enemy is going to hit, try to find you and hit you in the same spot you were shooting from. They, they can't cause you're not there anymore. Um, so they're high mobility um, mobile rockets, essentially that that are are sent, and so they're starting to attack um, 
Ukraine's Kherson Oblast, which is that the southern part, which we have uh, the city of Kherson, Novokhovka, and a few other yep. cities there. Now, the thing to remember here is that the the Dnipro River uh, goes on the west, excuse me, on the eastern side of the Kherson Oblast, and so there's only I would I want to say three to four main bridges over the Dnipro River right. to the other side to the side where Russian can Russian forces can go back and uh, go down to Crimea and so on. And so Ukrainians start attacking the bridge. There's one Antonovsky bridge, which is very famous bridge, um, huge span bridge that goes across uh, the river in Kherson. And they start attacking. They start, and it's just wild to see what HIMARS can do. Like the precision is insane. Yes. Insane. They're, they're showing how uh, on, on video how precise. I mean, the the you, you can measure you with a tape measure that one rocket strikes here three feet away, another rocket strikes three feet away, another rocket strikes all all precise. Right? I don't believe the Russian army has anything that precise. So they're damaging the bridges. Right. Um, in the meantime, uh, and, and before before that really heavy hitting of that happened. Russia learns that Ukraine is going to be doing this counteroffensive, and so they send their troops from the north part of Ukraine all the way down to south to Kherson to reinforce. And this was something like fifteen to twenty thousand troops, and some of their best trained, best equipped troops were right. sent down there. Right, um, and then Ukraine starts hitting the bridges and like essentially cutting off. Like, okay, we got you guys in this spot; you cannot escape now because. Sure, you can walk over it, but you can't drive a uh, truck. Yeah, well, you talked about the loading of munitions by hand and stuff of this yeah. nature. This is not a great scenario no. to be resupplied when you can't maybe get a tank across. You can't get, you know, what are you going to do? Use boats to, I mean, probably, I suppose, but that's about it. But even, the, yeah, the, the, so so um, we we think about this like we're like, Okay, how hard is it to hit a bridge with a with a rocket? Like, imagine hitting any bridge here in town with a rocket or wherever you're living. You think, well, that's going to completely destroy the bridge? No, 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 no. Bridges are incredibly tough. Like they're yeah, no, these things these things were getting pummeled by the high. They're getting pummeled and they're still intact. They're right. still up and they're still, uh, you know. So are they still up right now? Yeah, they are. But the high Mars, what have they have done is they've made it so. Um, so infrastructurally unsound uh, that any sort of heavy machinery, a tank, will not get through it, right? Because you just you just can't drive over that sort of a right. thing. So, so essentially, a lot of the Russian troops right now are trapped in Kherson. Now, Ukraine does something crazy, and they do a counterattack actually on the north side of Ukraine. So they attack the Donetsk, and instead, and they're still focusing on southern part, but they're attacking the the north side. And that's where September rolls around and we see like this incredible fast, like this, this a blitzkrieg, a lightning, lightning speed um, attack of, uh, of the territories of the North and recapturing a lot of the occupied territories in the right. North. So within six days, I think it was six days, they, um, they captured over 6,000 square kilometers of territory back, which is more territory than Russia has captured since the beginning of the war. 
huge, huge amount of territory liberated. Um, unfortunately, with the liberation, we see places like uh, Liman, Maiman, another mass grave, another 400 plus people killed, uh, executed, signs of torture, all that stuff that we've talked about before is present there as well. Um, but this is incredible. They, The Russian army from, from September 6th to the 12th, uh, Ukrainian army destroyed 590 units of Russian equipment worth over $674 million. Yeah. Now, they've also captured a lot of equipment, and, and this is where the, the amazing thing is, like, the U.S. has this... U.S., for the second time in history, authorizes Lend-Lease. Which, can you def- define what that means again? Because even I'm a little struggling with what the Lend-Lease means. Is it just the concept around it? Yeah, yeah. So, essentially, it's a... Um, what it is, it's a policy which the... So, the first instance of this was um, the U.S. supplied the United Kingdom, the Soviet Union, which, again, interesting, right? Exactly. And other allied nations with uh, things like food, oil, um, and materiel uh, between 1941 and 1945. Yes. So it supplied them with basically the, the necessities um, and even like armaments, things like that. So they're lending it and they're leasing it back. And, um, and it, it essentially it ended the United States pretense of neutrality in World War uh, II, right? Because the U.S. didn't get into the war right away, and so it, that ended that. And and so um, what United States is doing now is it, it allows United States to speed up production of some of these things that Ukraine is requesting. So Ukraine's requesting a lot of specific um, types of weapons and, and things like that. Um, and they're able to uh, manufacture this without, and, and cut a lot of red tape, essentially, um, now, is some of it is gifted. Some of it is asked to be, be to be paid back, um, usually with a very steep discount. Um, and so, uh, there was a final repayment. I'm just reading here an article that there was a final repayment uh, of eighty three million dollars on December thirty first, two thousand six, from World War Two. <laughs> That's crazy. That so that's how long they have to essentially pay off this, you know, this equipment and and, and material. Oh, really? Who who did is that? Was that the UK? To, to the UK, yeah, yeah. So it's it's really yeah. interest free loans and 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 some other you know creative accounting things that they're able to do with this. But essentially, the United States has started uh, on October first, started enacting lend lease to Ukraine again, and. Okay. So we're going to see more equipment donated to Ukraine and given and, and, and whatnot. But um, the sort of the, the joke is that the Russians have supplied more. But this is the Russian lease, right? Because the Russians are retreating, as we saw in September. And even now what's happening. And they're, they're giving, they're leaving their tanks. They're leaving their APC carriers. They're leaving their top tanks. Yeah. Yeah. So... Once again, there's been a lot of versions of the tank. The Russians in the uh, World War II had the T-34, which is pretty famous. Yep. Now that's the, like the T-70s, T-80s, and then there's the two T-90s, and they're capturing T-90s. Yeah, yeah, it's it's crazy. And so what they're doing is, is is leaving all this stuff because they're they're hastily retreating. They can't stay there. Um, 
And so... And they run out of fuel, sorry. They run out of fuel, I can't yeah. help but say it, right? They just... Another thing that... Um, we, well, we got to talk about this is the, is the, we haven't talked about this much, but the, the naval side of the war, um, that's been happening. Yeah. So, what? yeah, there's a naval side of this war, which, you know, we're not hearing much about because it really doesn't quite exist, I would say. Um, and part, partly and, and really specifically because of something that actually, um, that has actually happened in, in the beginning parts of this war. So, there was a ship that was called the Slava, which means glory, um, and it was <laughs> it was built in Mykolaiv, Ukraine. Interesting. In 1976, uh, launched in 79, and commissioned into the Soviet Navy on January uh, 30th, 1983. Uh, then. In the year 2000, this ship was recommissioned into the Russian Navy. So again, Soviet Union crashes. The ship is recommissioned, and it's called the Moskva, the Moscow. And it's essentially the flagship of the Russian Black Sea Fleet. No, it's not. It is. It is. Yeah. It's the flagship of the Russian Black Sea Fleet. Wait, okay, just repeat that. This thing was built in the 70s, right? In 76. In Ukraine. That's that's the key. It was built in Mykolaiv, Ukraine, which is a, a port city there. Mm. And so uh, what happens is during the war, in on the late hours of April 13th, we have a, a guy that I asked Roman about in our previous episode yeah. about this guy named uh, Alexei Rostovich. <laughs> Uh, which is a, he's a presidential advisor, one of the talking heads of Ukrainian politics. He reports that the Moskva, which is the, which is the ship was on fire. Um, and then we learn that this ship was actually hit by two, um, they're called Neptune anti-ship missiles, which, which are actually developed in Ukraine. So Ukraine has developed their own anti-ship missiles called the Neptune. So named after the god of sea, Neptune. Right. And this ship actually is about 80, 80 miles away from Odessa. Um, and this ship was used to launch attacks on many specific uh, targets in, in Ukraine from, you know, kind of from that area, right? Um, they also, uh, and so this ship gets hit and uh, it it sinks. 485 crew members aboard, including 66 officers. Um, it's... Do we do we know how it got attacked? Yeah, from from these missiles, these anti-ship missiles. Oh, from the anti-ship missiles. Oh, yeah. sorry. Okay, yep. I missed that. Okay. Exactly, yep. So the ship sinks around 3 a.m. on the 14th of April, and and just it's, it's wild what happens. Um, there is a stamp... That Ukraine sends that uh, you know Ukraine again starts trolling the the army, and and another interesting fact. So this is where you get another grandstand moment from from the Ukrainian army. So Ukraine has this island called Snake Island, Zmina. Uh, yes, Ostro. Snake Island. It's a tiny, tiny little spot. If you look at it on picture, you're like this. They're 
there's people stationed there. They're defending this little thing. It's basically a rock in the Black Sea. Um, and essentially, this ship, which is the Moskva, was was um, was sent over to stay, to uh, patrol the area around Snake Island. And they they called over to the island's garrison over the radio and demanded surrender, right? Right. And, and then we hear the, the famous yes. Russian warship go... Go blank yourself. Go blank yourself. And after that, they unleash just complete um, hell on, on that island, right? They destroy the island completely, or, or so we think. And we think that all the, you know, there was about a, a small garrison, I think about 13 members. Uh, we're all, we're all, we think they all died. They didn't die. They were hidden underground somewhere. Right. They were actually... Um, they were actually returned back to the Ukrainians as as POWs, and so they were exchanged. and And so this this is why we don't hear about any sort of naval conflict. Number one, Ukraine doesn't really have a navy, right? It was completely gutted and and re you know nothing happened out of it over the the rebuilding years after the Soviet Union fell. But um, the the Russian army gets rightfully scared that okay this this thing can reach these missiles right. can reach any of our ships ships so yeah. we're going to get everything out of there and so you're not really seeing any sort of military activity on the on the sea right now because of what happened to the moskva interesting so yeah everything is tied together everything is intertwined uh, intertwined um and so i think you know, we could probably talk for another couple hours here, but... Right. Um, I, I, I do think we should end on this a yeah. little bit. Yeah. Number one, we started this episode talking about how Ukraine just got completely bombed and bombarded, and they still are taking, getting bombed and bombarded, but... Yeah. They got really set back, and it wasn't looking good. Uh, we, as we stated in a previous podcast, people thought they might last three days, maybe three weeks... And now they are winning, actually, this fight. They're slowly gaining ground back. Um, obviously, with the help of Western support, let me be very clear on that. Very but, much so, yes. But that is pretty clear. And uh, this is a good thing. I think one thing that we should note, and maybe this is before another episode completely, but with this scenario that is happening with Ukraine hitting the Russian army and then Putin finding himself in a situation where he's got to do a mobilization of men. Yeah. And t- to put things in perspective, people are fleeing this country. We talked about the, you know, the inadequate the 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 insufficient supplies for the the men that are they're going over to be mobilized using camo from their hunting that they did or yeah. you know from from home carrying sleeping bags because winter's coming. Right. Even for them um, on the front line uh, from their own home sleeping bags. The army's not prepared. It's not. That's that's a bad thing in and of itself for those guys. But the other side of this is that Russia is is going to be going through a stage that I don't think I've ever been alive to see inside of a nation, see what happens. Um, and that is with 200,000 men fleeing your country. Actually, is it three hundred fifty-five thousand now? We do we do know that. Okay, we do know that three hundred fifty-five thousand yeah. flee in the country, fled the country. Just FYI, 
we are very confident that we're sitting around above 60,000 dead, dead, not injured, dead from the Ukraine operation thus far, even from inside of Russia. So right there, you're over 400,000 people, 400,000 men. Right. Um, go- gone. The That's the future of Russia, by the way. But that's the thing. Yeah, that's what I'm... That's your brain dump. Yeah. Is that what they call it? Brain... Brain dump? Brain drain. Brain drain. Thank you. Brain drain. You're, you've lost the people that were there working things. I mean, just even think about the infrastructure that was existing. So you and I are in Russia. You're you're working on... Fine. <laughs> I don't know why. It's going to say you're working in sanitation, but whatever. <laughs> I'm working in sanitation. I don't know why. I'm working in sanitation. <laughs> yeah. I'm working in sanitation. You're... You're working at the local bookstore. Mm-hmm. We're both like... That's more fitting for me. Right, exactly. <laughs> we're both like, let's get out of here. Yeah. Grab our families, or if we're single, we grab ourselves, and we just get out. Yeah. You just lost the people that were doing those things. Yeah. That infrastructure starts to fall apart inside of the own country. Totally. Totally. Not to mention just the loss of future you know, work that's gone. And that's, and I feel like that's kind of a good book ending mark to say, like, that's where right now with Russia and Ukraine is in a situation where they have the best morale, they're the most mobilized, they're getting more aid. They're the most. We don't, we don't know what happens next, to so, be honest, right? So Ukraine now, the way I view it, is the most tactically, um, they're, they're, they're for sure the most advanced army, I would say, right now. Uh, well, if not the most, but top three for sure in Europe, right? We've got England still, but England hasn't fought in a war in a long time. Ukraine's fought in a war. They know how to fight. They know how to fight the new war. Yeah. Well, they're, and they're doing it in a way with utilizing technology in a way that we've just never seen before. Oh yeah. As, as we've, we've talked about this, the U S is not, it's not like the department of defense is not like you cannot, say that they aren't slightly, there's some part of them that's slightly giddy because they get to now send this new equipment and see what happens when you use this new yeah. equipment. Like, they're, It's a test ground, right? It's a test. For, for, for the, they're using, was it mobilized like uh, vehicles that just start keep firing? You know, they're... they're yeah, remote control vehicles. Remote control vehicles that are, yeah. Ukrainians are using off-the-shelf drones like DJIs, like the ones that you, yeah, your wedding DJI photographer... Drones. Your wedding photographer uses right, right to get the shots. Right, they're using those. They're mounting. They've built like a like a you know three D printed amount essentially that lets you oh, I didn't even attach three D printed mount. Yep, that is you, that how they're doing? Okay, that you can attach a, a a grenade to it, one or two, and it just and you see the videos again. The 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 drone flies over, drops the the payload, and boom. Um, they're using Starlink right now. Yeah, right. And Elon's been in the news, kind of not not in a great way for for Ukraine lately. But hats off to to Elon and then you know Tesla and, and SpaceX for donating so many Starlinks. One of the first things that they do is when they when they liberate a village that has no internet, hasn't had internet. You know, you the, the families couldn't call. There's no cell service, nothing. They set up a Starlink terminal and. People gather around it, and they can use it to call, and they tell people, hey, we're alive. Right. So-and-so is not alive anymore. Like, yeah. that 
that's a new type of like war that we've never seen before on this kind of scale. Think of it this way. Private communication systems like Starlink. Yeah. Also now in a military stand- setting. Oh yeah. Right? Absolutely. You can you can be you can be stationed in a spot that's remote. And as long as you're you have ability to communicate to the Starlink. Yeah. You can just keep you can move around in like yeah. little mobilized units. So, anyways, so you know, and I think I want to end on this is where um, in the last few weeks, last few days, there was some tension around Russia announcing their um, basically, oh, gosh. they're taking in and annex, annexing three states of Ukraine: yes. Zaporozhye, Kherson, and uh, Donetsk. I think, or one of the republics. And uh, Luhansk, sorry, yeah. So four, fourth total, and and what this is doing is providing them in their minds, quote unquote, legal framework to then essentially declare this as a full war and go in that way. So we'll hear a lot more in the next few days, next few hours, few minutes, even. <laughs> um, I want to say that you know, thank you guys for sticking around. This has been a long one too, but. Um, we have more to talk about, and we'll probably keep talking about, you know, give some updates on Ukraine as we talk about other subjects. Yeah. But, um, you know, if you're if you're a person of faith, pray for pray for the situation. Yeah, um, you know, for for everyone involved, because this is this is evil. Yeah, we need to stand up for evil. Exactly. Well, thank you everyone for listening. Thanks for coming out. Truly appreciate it. If you made it this far, we truly appreciate it. You found us online. We thank you for sticking all the way through. So for those of you in your car, we hope that you make it to your destination safely. For those of you who are running that mile, we hope you finish it. And for those of you that, once again, found us, have been listening, and been sticking around, thank you. We hope to see you in the next episode. So without further ado, stay present. Cheers. Cheers.